Hey everybody, Coach Hughes here from the Be Best You podcast. Again, the idea is um, if you want to be a leader of other people, you can't be a mess. Um, and I'm really honored, actually, and excited to get the opportunity, quick opportunity to talk to Chris Heron. Hello, Chris. Uh, how are you? It's great to be here. Yeah, awesome. Um, if you don't know anything about Chris, I'll I'll, uh, I'll pass some links on to everybody after, but um, has an amazing story featuring 30 for 30 uh, quite a few years ago. But has done since then, gone on to do some amazing stuff with um, an organization he has uh, started to help people uh, dealing with, you know, all kinds of things, addiction, one, PSD, you know, uh, just everything. But um, leading into what I really didn't want to do is do, do a lot of talking. I really want to ask a question. Um, one of the things you talk about early on is, is not starting with what you're doing now, but starting at the first drink. I think it's mm. one of your, your lines, which I love. and. And I have a lot, I deal with a lot of young managers, uh, 18, 19, 20 years old, who have a, a great future in front of them. And um, they don't come from the best of homes, neighborhoods, school systems. A lot of them just kind of don't go to college, maybe, and then they don't have a trade. So they end up in the industry I'm in. And um, I, I just know the path that it can go when you don't have a lot of structure and mm. uh, they, they can get lost. And, uh, I think this is, uh, I know you speak to a lot of high schools, a lot of young people, but you also speak to everybody. But um, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about uh, how you can kind of not go down a, a dangerous path. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the last 10 years, I've dedicated most of my life to, to public speaking, right? I, it was unintentional, unplanned. Um, <laughs> you know, a woman offered me Dunkin' Donuts gift cards to come speak in her classroom. <laughs> and, you know, and since then I've spoken to over a couple of million people. Um, but I love it. You know, I, it's, it's, it's an amazing responsibility and opportunity to get out in front of people and, and hopefully, you know, try to leave them with something um, to impact them, empower them, whatever. Uh, you know, but when it comes to addiction, I think we've gone horribly wrong with the way we frame it. I think we put way too much focus on the worst day and we forget the first day. You know, it's like so many children grow up seeing mugshots, pitches, movies, documentaries and say, see, that's what drugs does to you. Mm. Instead, of, instead of sitting them down, looking them in the eye and asking them, you know, let's talk about why you're letting this process begin. Because the only way to prevent drug addiction, substance use disorder, alcoholism is to not start, right? And you know, if we could, you know, intervene early, um, you just have great impact, right? I think, you know, I've had a platform for the last 10 years and I say often, um, you know, the word rock bottom, like I see people come to my wellness center every day and I see families pulling suitcases, come into my office, sit down and drop their loved one off. And, you know, 85% of them say, I think they hit their rock bottom. Um, that word should never be attached to this sickness. Uh, and the word rock bottom has prevented early interventions in people's lives. Instead of recognizing, okay, life has become unmanageable, they're struggling, they're disconnecting, they're pulling away, they're isolating. 
let's get out in front of this. It's no, they have to lose their job. They have to lose their house. They have to crash their car. They have to lose their children. And then they'll be ready to kind of make an, a pivot or adjust. Um, so for me, you know, I think the way we framed addiction and the way we framed recovery is, you know, it's, I know when in 1994, when I lost my scholarship to BC, um, in 2001, when I went to treatment, I looked at recovery and this life as a, as a punishment. Like somebody just handed down this unbelievable punishment on me. I am a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. Um, and that's how I looked at it. And I was, I was resistant. I was resentful. I was upset. I was, you know, then trying to challenge it, you know, like, no, I'm not instead of saying like, Hey buddy, like you've been, you're at a crossroad. Like you can live this life or you can live this life. Right. And this life, this life is beautiful. Like there's a whole community. There's, there's, there's a ton of people that take pride in the fact that they suffer from alcoholism and drug addiction. And, you know, that community I was unaware of. Um, and, you know, obviously today I'm extremely aware of it, but uh, the way we frame addiction, the way we frame recovery has to change. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I have a leadership week where on Monday we, we asked all the attendees to uh, kind of take a life assessment and, um, you know, they look in the mirror and then lots of times they don't want to be who they are and they just start trying to change and they don't really address how they got here. Uh, those yeah. habits and choices that got them to this point. And I think too, you know, with athletes in particular or high achievers, you know, mental illness is something that, I mean, I'm 57. I know they didn't talk about it when I was younger. Mm. Today, I think it's a lot more permissible. I think people are okay with talking about it, which is probably a good thing, right? Sure. No, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, just what that, what that young lady did in the Olympics, you know, her stepping away uh, from gymnastics, you know, that's that. And I hope she understands that, but you know, that, that decision, you know, saved lives, yeah. you know, it, it truly, it truly saved lives. So, um, no mental health substance use. I think, you know, people aren't as afraid of it anymore. Um, but I do think that, uh, families are embarrassed by it. Um, they're shamed. Um, and I also think, you know, there's people out there that look at living in recovery as a punishment instead of a blessing. And, you know, life is about perspective, right? Like it, it's, it's what perspective you're going to have, what lens you're going to look at it with. And, you know, that's the big thing here at Heron Wellness is, is the perspective, right? And changing people's perspective. We have this unbelievable, I tell my employees all the time that, you know, we've been given the absolute gift and responsibility to be people's GPS. <laughs> like, you know, they want to, they need our hands on their shoulders and we need to lead them to where we believe will serve them. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to be a GPS, you know, that someone is going to put that type of faith in you that you're going to lead them down the right road. And, you know, that's, you know, that's something we do here. And, 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 you know, on, on this campus in my life today, um, you know, and some people, you know, some people look at this differently, but, but sobriety's made me better in every facet of my life. Yeah. Uh, it, it, taking alcohol 
and taking drugs out of my life has improved every facet of my life. And, and I want people to understand that. Like, you know, if you make a decision to, to live in life in recovery, life is going to get exponentially better. Like you were, everything's going to improve. Yeah. And I think too, it's, you know, again, in order to lead a team and lead an organization, you know, a lot of times people get busy in that work. And mm. what I find is that they don't spend enough time on the self-work and like uh, to, um, I heard a young lady just recently tell me that um, she lived in Colorado for a little while and she moved back to Jersey. And she said the mm -hmm. people in Colorado were like, why don't you go talk to somebody uh, in New Jersey? We just don't. And she said, why don't people talk to somebody? So they don't have to talk to somebody. Mm. And I think that, um, what I see is a lot of people think that by working on themselves, they're being selfish when mm. not working on yourself is, is actually selfish, selfish right? Yeah. You're being selfish, not doing that. And just because yeah. you don't have a problem, don't wait till there's a problem to, to address, to address it. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I and I tell people here, right. And I think it, it's, you know, these little tidbits of, of knowledge that I've, I've received over the years, whether it's from coaches, from teammates, from people in recovery, from sitting in meetings, um, you know, go about your life like your kids are watching, you know, like, <laughs> like ca carry them with you, sit in your meetings, go through your day, like your kids are in the backseat of your car. And, yeah. and if we go about our day, like our kids are watching, um, we, we move differently, you know, we move differently. And, you know, I did an exercise with Gail King and Charlie Rose on the morning show. It's called Note to Self. And okay. they and they called me and they said, we, we have this we have this segment that we're doing and we want you to take part in it. And okay. how they how they explained it to me was. You need to write 500 words, um, a note to your younger self, and and then we'll come come into town and we'll we'll read it. Now, I had just finished a book, so I yeah. said. I, I'll bang this out in 20 minutes, 20 minutes tops. I can get this thing banged out. And uh, it was the toughest assignment of my life. It was, and now I'm 11 years sober, 10 years sober at the time. And it almost killed me. Like, and I'm, I'm saying literally, like it was so emotional mm. and taxing. And to, to go back to that eight-year-old boy in a bunk bed, and try to encourage him that life will get better, you know. Yeah. And when you when you're when you're encouraging yourself, um, you know, it puts a different spin on it. And you know, it's it's that selfless act, um, you know, of of taking care of self that you know allows you to be of service and unselfish to others. <laughs> I'm, I'm smirking because uh I, you know I, I do coaching my nickname is coach they call me coach Hughes and my again from uh, in honor of my father but um just recently I started getting personally coached uh you know stop talking and actually doing it and literally uh this person said to me just this past two weeks ago I'm still six years old there's still things that I'm dealing with from an anxiety standpoint or ADD standpoint that I'm still, I'm having a discussion right now with my six-year-old self because um, mm. my first recollection of how I feel today or why I feel the way I feel today goes back to those days, you know, that I, that I vividly remember. And I never, sure. I never dealt with that. 
And um, I see a lot of people in my class and like, you know, kind of sit back and you can see them thinking and going, yeah, you know, I don't want to be the person I am. There's, there's a, there, I wish I could put um, music to these words because you hear them all the time. And I'm sure you hear it, but it's these three, three phases. I know. Okay. All right. Mm. I know you're okay. All right. Meaning I know. Okay. All right. Meaning just leave me alone. Yeah. But I hear that all the time when people want to change and become better versions. They're like, I know you're right. Okay. But they're not ready. And back up. Yeah. yeah. I know. Okay. All right. It's like, I know get off my back. Yeah. Beat it. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And, no. and, and that's, and that's, you know, that's, that's the resistance and, and it's hard. Like I tell people all the time, like living life in recovery is hard. Yeah. I mean, the beauty of being sober 14 years is that in the last 14 years, I've been so incredibly <laughs> aware of my character defects and that's also the worst part of recovery <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it's yeah. it's because you're constantly dialed in to who you are and because living in this world of recovery you know everybody it's not just about drugs and alcohol it's about self-worth it's about right. self-care it's about self-esteem it's about confidence it's about you know since i was a kid you know I've lived this life that I always wanted to change myself. Like, you know, I was, I was happier pretending to be Larry Bird in my driveway. Yep. I was happy to fly around my house as Batman. I was always trying to kind of escape me. And, and then I found out like at a young age that I need relief. I was wired, man. Like, and I say that like, that's deep. It's personal. Like, when you need relief, when you live a life where you feel that you need relief, I've known that since I was a boy. And unfortunately, that kind of manifested in my addiction. Yeah. I, you know, it's it. I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, you're speaking to exactly how I felt. And I think a lot of people feel, and that's why I think it's important. It's this, I'm not want to, I didn't want to reach out to you necessarily because of, of the, the alcohol and the drug part of it, but just that yeah. part right there where it, it starts at young age and you not being happy with who you are or, and then trying totally. to be somebody else. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's the thing I think that I beat myself up. I know I did. And especially the hypocrisy, and I'm sure for yourself, here you are, the leader, you're on cover Sports Illustrated, you're, so everyone's looking at you as if you're the, and meanwhile, you have this, what's going yeah. on inside you. And um, yeah, you know, my mom, who I, like, my mom was the greatest woman, and she died at 50 from cancer. And I was active in my addiction. My mom never saw me sober. And she wanted me so badly to, to get some recovery in my life before she passed. And that didn't happen. Um, but, you know, if I had an opportunity to talk with her, hmm. um, I would definitely have the conversation as to how come you never asked me why? You know, like, like how come when I was a boy, like how come when I was 15 years old playing basketball in front of 5,000 people and like 
cherishing those moments and, and, and standing up and embracing those moments. Hmm. But how come after the game, you didn't ask me why? Like, why do you have to change yourself? Like, why do you have to run away from who you are? Uh, and, you know, parents, parents don't ask why enough. You know, when, when they see, when you see someone struggling and especially within children, it's like, how are you, like, how did you get this? Who gave it to you? Who's causing this? What happened to you? And very few families sit down and say, can you just tell me why? Yeah. Cause that's the root. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm just hitting home again. Cause my daughter's 21. She's a college athlete up in Rochester playing soccer a PT major, small school, best athlete. And just recently this last year, she used the term, you know, feeling my lights, the lights gone out, not in a, a worry mm. rush, rush up there away. But uh, what you just said right there, I, I don't think I've really ever asked her. And she's always, mm. felt, I think she's always felt like um, she never wanted to let us down. You know, mm. I wasn't, yeah, of course, you know, <laughs> but you're assuming that, you know, we assume, right? We, we make these assumptions and, yeah. <laughs> you know, she doesn't, she doesn't want to let us down. She's going to hurt our feelings. She thinks we're going to be, you know, we're going to be saddened by it. My, the greatest accomplishment of my life as a parent today is the day my son called me mm-hmm. from San Diego and said, dad, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like that's when I felt validated as a father when my son hmm. felt good enough within our relationship that he could say, I'm done with this. It's not for me anymore, dad. And it's not, it, it's not healthy for me. Um, it, and I tell Christopher this, it, it was one of the best days of my life as a parent, you know, yeah. because, because yeah. you felt the confidence and, and you felt that you had that connection to tell me that you were unhappy. Yeah. And I just always, always want that from any person who I have a relationship with, you know, especially family, um, you know, just, just, just tell me why. Yeah. Just tell me why. And doing work on yourself is not because something's broken. I think that's what I'm learning. Totally. We, you know, I mean, obviously the extremes is dealing with, um, you know, um, finding it in other, finding it in the outside reality part of it, but um, you know, working on yourself to be the best version of yourself. Cause no one's going to want to be around somebody who's a mess, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of start off from the baseline that we're all a little broken. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. We're all, we, we all, we, we all have <laughs> our character defects. There's also, you know, I think everybody is a little broken. So that's why it's so beautiful to go through this process with people. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, I know it's not, this isn't about recovery and it's not about sobriety, but I've been given a front row seat. Like I have a front row seat to life and I get to watch people start, you know, digging deep, working on themselves and then just completely flourish and blossom. And, you know, they gain confidence in every part of their life as a parent, as a son, as a coach, as a player, whatever it is. Um, people want to follow that. People are attracted to, to that attract, you know, to, to, yeah. to that attraction. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, absolutely. And, and I think that's kind of why this is, you know, perfect. So, 
So again, I know you're, you're super busy and um, I will be uh, putting on the, the links to obviously the 30 for 30, but there's also two books, I believe one um, mm-hmm. you, you were the author of, right? Um, you have two books out or, th- or one? So no. So, so when I was 17 years old, a gentleman wrote a book called Four of a Dreams okay. and that kind of encapsulated my, my life in high school. Um, right. And it also talked about the town I grew up in, my family, my friends. Um, and then, you know, the, the book I wrote at two years sober was called Basketball Junkie. And, um, you know, it, it's something that I'm proud of. Uh, in hindsight, I regret the title. Um, I didn't make the title, but the, the St. Martin's <laughs> Press did. Yeah. I don't like the yeah. word, I, you know, at 14 years sober, the word junkie um, it hits and lands a little different today. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my wife and I, we bared our soul in that book. And, and, and we put it all out there. So, so, you know, there were many nights that we laid up and looked at each other and said, you think we should tell that story? Should we pull that story? And we always came to the, to, to the meeting point that maybe someone needs that story. You know, maybe, maybe someone needs that story and, and we'd hate to pull out the story that someone needed. Well, it's, it's amazing. And your wife is amazing as well. And you definitely, uh, you know, let people know that through the book and through the other things that I've seen on, yeah. on what you do. Um, and then, uh, you know, I guess kind of the the thing I would say is I usually ask everybody at the end, you know, I know it's kind of a trick question. But in order to be the best version of yourself, what what's the one thing you think that uh, people need to, and it's not one, but what's the first thing that comes to mind that someone needs to do in order to begin the process of being okay with themselves to be able to work on themselves to be the best version so that other people will follow them. Yeah. I think, I think people follow transparency. I think people follow vulnerability and honesty. Mm-hmm. I think if you can be, I tell again, I, and I, I'm saying this often, but it wasn't till I truly identified who I was and my baseline that I start getting better. Because I could have lived in this world that, oh, I'm a former Celtic. I'm a former NBA player. Listen, I have nothing left. We are on food stamps. We have no lights. We have no heat. I have no money. I have no job. I have children. I don't have health insurance. Like, that's who you are. So let's go. So let's, let's, let's build up from there. Me pretending to be something else um, was very unattractive to not only myself, but to others. And, and it stunted, you know, it prevented me, my growth. And, you know, because that esteem building is, is huge. And, you know, once you get, there's a lot of small victories in life and cherish those small wins, you know, because they matter, they make you who you are. And, you know, I started, I started getting a taste of, of little victories and small wins and, and, you know, life changed for me. So, what I, my superpower, you know, I think has been, you know, is, is transparency. Yeah. Yeah. And, and back, yeah. And, you know, like people feel like if I'm all this, people love me when you don't need all that, they still love you. And I mean, I got that through your documentary and your book too, that, yeah. you know, all those people that stuck by you all, how many of those different times and they loved you the whole time. And I, and I say it, I say it all the time too, that people need to understand um, because I think it's important. It wasn't just my family, strangers 
yeah. impacted my life. Yeah. You know, total strangers. Like, and if you look at my story, it's always someone who I don't have really a relationship with. You know, it was, it, it was Chris Mullen, you know, who, who advocated for me. It was the nurse who intervened in my life and said, I know your mom and I want to help you. It was, you know, the man, the myth, the legend of Murph. And I will end it with this story. Um, I am who I am today because of a man named Murph. A man named Murph opened the doors of Daytop 14 years ago for me to walk through. Mm -hmm. And the man named Murph, um, not only did he help me, uh, but my wife will tell you this, um, we're probably still married because of Murph. Mm. See, as I sat in Daytop going through the treatment process, Murph decided that he was going to call my wife and check in with her. Mm. And um, so my goal, obviously, um, was to, to hug Murph. I just wanted to hug the man <laughs> that saved my life, saved my family. And I was going to get that opportunity um, the day that Chris Mullen was elected into the Hall of Fame in Springfield. So uh, I was emotional. I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I just couldn't wait to, to just hold this guy. And um, he died that day in New York City. He, he died that day in New York City. He never got to Springfield. I never got to hug him. I never got to meet him. I never got to lay eyes on him. Yeah. But, but that man, he changed my world, man. Yeah. You know, he, he changed the course of so many because of his selflessness. No. Yeah. And the impact that you've been able to have um, on so many people. And, and I know that's not why you're doing it. I mean, you mm. are, but you're, it's not, you know I mean? So I can't, I can't say enough of, uh, of how, you know, I, I'm going to share this with a lot of people, a lot of family, awesome. a lot of friends. And I think sure. that people, people who see this will uh, benefit from it for sure. Um, awesome. I really, really appreciate this. Uh, it's, like I said, it's an honor and um, yeah, no I, doubt. I'll follow your work. I'll, I'll be in touch again. Um, after this, I'll, I'll send you a nice little package up to uh, your office there. But um, uh, again, Chris Heron, thank you so much. I uh, really, really appreciate it. And God bless. And thank you for everything you're doing and your family. Yeah, no, thank you, coach. I appreciate you having me on brother. And this doesn't, yeah. doesn't end here. No, you know, yeah, and uh, I I really appreciate your, you know, your platform and your transparency. I can feel it, you know, yeah. and and <laughs> and it matters. So, uh, we'll talk again. All right, I'm just gonna end right. this real quick. If you can stay on for one second there, but uh, yeah. Coach Hughes with Chris Heron, I will be giving you guys all the links. You got to see the thirty for thirty, uh, the book as well. And uh, thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right, see you, brother. Yeah.